Hello, 889 The Bridge. This is Gil MacDonald, and today I'm joining with a very special interviewer, interviewee, I should say, with the Mercer Island High School alum. I'm joined today with Max Tanzer, who is attending at Ithaca College in New York and is studying under the sports media program, which is nationally ranked by several organizations as being one of the top schools for journalism, film, communications, and of course, media. Thank you for joining us today, Max, and super lucky to be talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for ha or having me on. I'm happy to be yeah. back. Yeah, and to quickly add on to what I was just saying about Max, he's also been broadcasting for multiple sports at Ithaca College, but most prominently has received a job broadcasting for the Sabre Dogs Baseball Club, who are part of the Expedition League. And Max has received the award for Best Broadcaster of the Year for this league. The assistant manager of the Sabre Dogs says Max was very deserving of the award and has ex extensive knowledge as well as passion for the game of baseball. So just to get into my first question, Max, for starting your pathway, how did you choose Ithaca College? Because I know for me being a student, choosing colleges are super overwhelming and knowing like what college I want to go to can be very difficult at times. So I looked at a lot of schools on the East Coast. Uh, a big priority for me at the time was to play college baseball. So I was looking at small division three schools uh, with good media communication programs. Um, so I looked at schools like Ithaca, Emerson, um, a couple of SUNY programs as well, um, and then Washington State University as well. It's just a backup if I didn't play baseball. Uh, but then I toured Ithaca. I really loved the campus. I liked that it was smaller. Uh, the television studios and radio station opportunities were something that really attracted me as well. So off the bat, I kind of thought this was perfect for me, whether I play baseball or not. Um, I didn't end up playing baseball, but... Uh, Still coming here, I've had plenty of awesome opportunities to get involved on the campus with different uh, media outlets, and uh, it was definitely the right decision for me. I've been very happy with it. Mm -hmm. And for students who are in media, what would you suggest for people trying to find that college? Like, what factors would you look for if a student wants to really study media in college? Yeah, I think it definitely is about personal fit for you, for sure. I wanted a smaller school, uh, so that was very important for me because one, for me, that ensured that it would be easier to get opportunities as a freshman um, versus, you know, not that I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities per se at a bigger school, but it definitely would have been much more difficult uh, just because there's more people to work with. But also a school that was still kept it very professional and so forth and uh, would give me the closest experience possible to what it's like to work in the real world. And Ithaca knocked both of those uh, checkboxes off the list. So that was really important for me. Um, I like the East Coast a lot too, just because media opportunities are so many more media outlets on the East Coast. You got ESPN in Connecticut, of course, New York City obviously is ginormous. Uh, so I felt that one, the connections, you know, when you're in that borough in the Northeast with Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, you know, Maryland and so forth, uh, plenty more opportunities versus I felt the West Coast, you do have California, which has a ton obviously in Los Angeles, but then you get up towards Northern California, um, Oregon, Washington, it's a little bit uh, less dense. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not opportunities out there. I just thought I could maximize the amount if I was on the East Coast. Um, so that was also a really big thing for me as well. Yeah, definitely. And I also bet it helps that Ithaca has multiple sports and being a broadcaster, going to have different things to choose from and also getting to try out different things if you wanted to. Definitely. And that was something I really liked as well. And I think it's really cool because um, I can't speak for other schools, but I know Ithaca prioritizes getting the student media opportunities to cover games. Uh, you know, a lot of times at other bigger schools, you actually have 
big media outlets like Fox, ESPN coming in to broadcast those games. The plus with that is you get to potentially work with those companies. So that's a really big opportunity as well. But something special to me was that I wanted to be in front of the camera covering those games. And uh, Ithaca allowed me to do that, not just with the big sports like football, basketball, but you get smaller sports as well, field hockey, uh, club sports as well. Um, which I thought was really, really cool as well. Even gymnastics and so forth. There's so many sports that people don't really pay attention to because they're focusing on the big four, you know, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, tennis, and so forth. But there's plenty of opportunities out there. And that's what Ithaca provided for me. And that's really ultimately one of the biggest reasons why I chose to go here. Yeah, and I think you mentioned or touched on it when you joined our, came into our class and told us about broadcasting that, being a broadcaster, especially in sports media, you always want to take as many attempts possible to try to better yourself. If that's going into a different sports field, doing something you're not comfortable with, going out of your comfort zone will definitely help you in broadcasting no matter what. Definitely. I think that's so important. I think, you know, I like to say being a yes man is really important or a yes woman is being very important, you know, because you're not going to walk right onto campus. You're not going to walk right into the ESPN studios in Connecticut or wherever you're Fox in Los Angeles and jump on board and be the play-by-play man for the world series or the pre and post host, you know, for the super bowl or, you know, Sunday Fox football games in the NFL, Uh, you got to start from the bottom and you got to be able to work out those kinks, uh, get practice. I think that's a really important thing. You know, um, I think broadcasting is a lot about experience. You know, you could practice all you want in front of the television, but uh, getting into that moment, broadcasting live where it's unpredictable, what's going to happen. Anything can happen, especially in baseball, which is my favorite sport and the dream job for me. Literally there is anything that can happen. You know, a lot of people say you'll see something new every single game you watch or broadcast or whatever it may be. Um, So getting that practice is invaluable at that point. Um, So just getting as much experience as possible definitely I think puts you in the best situation. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to my next question. Like you were touching on that getting in front of the camera, going to those big football games, it must be a huge step up when you're going to Ithaca College and it has that packed house of, I think I searched it up, almost like 25,000 seats are available at the stadium there and just roaring crowd. What's the difference like from when you would broadcast a game at the jungle at Mershon High School and stepping in in front of the camera with 25, 30,000 people surrounding you. Yeah, that was a really cool moment at our, they called the Cortica Jug here where Ithaca faces Cortland. It's our big rivalry. And last year, my freshman year, we were in MetLife Stadium where the Jets and the New York Giants play. And we broke the Division Three attendance record, which was, I think we were up towards 43,000 or wow. something like that, which is yeah. like a sold out crowd almost at a Mariners game at T-Mobile Park. That was so cool, so surreal. It was one of those moments where you think to yourself, you know, like I've made it, you know, and I was just a freshman in college um, being down there and like you have the multiple decks and like all the sound bounces off of that comes back onto the field, which was really cool because generally speaking in high school sports and, you know, at a lot of, you know, I didn't think a college's football stadium where I did five of my previous games, you have stands and you get a decent amount. I think they get about like four or 5,000 per game, but you're not getting that big of a crowd where that sound is that loud. Um, so you could feel the electricity in the air as cliche as that sounds. And that's what I've been, you know, dreaming of feeling. And I got a little sneak peek of that. And I think that really sparked my passion for it more because I can't wait to hopefully get back to that someday. Um, so that was really cool. You know, especially compared to Mercer Island and just broadcasting in high school as well, 
you're in the stands and it gets loud at Mercer Island High School during yeah. basketball games because it's indoor, you get the band in there. Uh, obviously the student section is very loud as well, very passionate, which is really cool. But yeah, that's like like ballpark, maybe 400 people about, 500 yeah. people yeah. about. Um, so it's definitely not the same. Um, but still, I always try my best to like feed off of the crowd's energy because I think that's a really important part of the game and the listening experience for whoever's listening. Um, so really fun stuff. I think the crowd you could argue is the most important part of watching sports or at least the broadcast as well. Uh, so that's definitely something that was really cool to see when I got that opportunity to cover the game at MetLife. Yeah. And that's why like during COVID ballparks are reverting to just playing noises with fans because it's so essential for the game. And just really quickly, I wanted to go back to what you're saying about how you have to be in the moments where at high school, you're going to games, which not many people are going to like, let's say, water polo for example how many of those do you think you just need to keep on practicing those going to different games uh extending your comfort zone to be able to stand in front of the camera with forty thousand people in the stadium do you really just need to keep on practicing yeah if you think about it too if you think about it too you're not just standing in front of forty thousand people in person when you're at the top you know at a major league baseball game or nfl or nba game you're standing in front of a camera that's being broadcasted to thousands of people across the country. So that's a big part of it as well. Um, and I think getting that, you're just trying to figure out how to be comfortable on camera too, which is something that I definitely struggled with at first, my freshman year last year, because uh, I'd only done radio, you know, and like I'd maybe talked on camera one or two times, but besides that, it was mostly just into the microphone. So I could have my notes right with me right there. I could be talking to the microphone, reading off stats about, James Paxton or whoever it was I was talking in high school. Uh, no one sees that. But when you're in front of the camera, it's all off the top of your head and you have to be able to execute that and communicate it correctly, clearly, but also be able to put emphasis, uh, you know, pronounce things correctly uh, and sound good on camera. So there's so many more moving pieces in that aspect versus the radio aspect is, you know, you're, you just only have to really worry about how you're sounding versus how you look. Um but yeah, no, I, I think standing in front of the camera is really important and everyone sucks at first. I'm still not fantastic at it. I still have a long way to go, but uh, you know, the more reps you get, the better you get. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And like you are saying, that's where your natural media presence kind of comes out, right? Like that practice you put in the work you've come at, like come from, it's not reading the notes anymore. It's just all, you know, kind of from your brain and you're just yeah. starting and acting normal, but, and thank and you so much for touching on Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, and that's why yeah. I think preparation is really, really important because uh, you need to know what you're talking about. That needs to be coming. You know, you need to know it by heart. And that's why I feel like, you know, a lot of people try to script things. And sometimes that can work in many circumstances. But I think the bigger thing is being able to communicate it and focus on the important details. So like bullet pointing, you know, a certain statistic or a certain storyline. Uh, if you're trying to memorize the whole thing, you botch that one thing it's likely that it's going to snowball and get worse versus if you just try to speak from what you know and make sure that's ingrained into your brain it becomes much easier because in reality it's just a conversation you know I mean everyone has sports conversations all the time right and that's why I think you just got to be able to slow yourself down and you know act like it is just a normal conversation because I talk about the Mariners all the times with my friends I'm sure you talk about your favorite teams with your friends all the time and in reality that is what radio is or broadcasting is you know, there's just a little bit more pressure because you have to execute it cleanly. But I think just trying to keep it like a normal conversation is the most important thing. Because, you know, all of a sudden, if you start 
getting flustered or nervous, start speaking fast or try to perfect it by memorizing this, you know, uh, this big, big story. Uh, all of a sudden, if one thing goes wrong, then it makes it even more difficult. So I think keeping it as conversational as possible while as professional as possible is really important. Yep. So just pretty much just make sure just like you and a friend talking, not like you searching up Wikipedia facts and putting in bullets because like you said, it's just going to snowball and yeah. turn out to be worse than you really planned. And it depends on the medium too. I mean, like, a, for example, a, like if it's a podcast, like a barstool podcast, that is the most conversational thing of all time, which is fantastic. That's what I think makes barstool so popular is that it's very relatable and it does feel like you're literally sitting at the bar or sitting at the lunch table um, and talking to your buddies about, you know, sports um, versus like when you're on camera for a big game, you definitely want to keep it a little bit more professional. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I feel like if you try to rehearse it and make it perfect, you know, just to reiterate, uh, sometimes it could, you know, make it even more difficult for you because then all of a sudden you have this one line that you're trying to memorize. If that line, you forget one word, all of a sudden it makes it so much more difficult versus if I point, let's say I'm just talking about the Mariners right now and whether they should call Jared Kelnick up or not. I would talk about, you know, I would bullet point three things in my head. I would bullet point that, uh, the service time manipulation may not work out if Kelnick files a grievance. I would bullet point that his minor league numbers were fantastic the previous year and a half and raked at the alternate site. And then I would bullet point as well as that the minor league season was pushed a month and a half back. So he's not going to get those minor league at-bats that the Mariners are going to try and make an excuse out of. So is there a point of calling up or trying to manipulate the service time of Jared Kelnick's contract? And those three things right there are the most important parts and if I try to rehearse this whole grand thing, um, it makes it so much more complicated versus if you just focus on the three, four most important things. It makes it a lot easier on yourself. Yep. And then it will just become a huge strung out mess if you're just keep on reverting back to just trying to memorize the whole thing until, like you said, those three bullets. You really want to keep it concise too. In a lot of cases, I think, um, you know, especially since in this generation you want everything now you want it immediately it has to be quick right on you know and that's why like if you're a silent reporter um you know you're not going to be talking for three straight minutes you know it's most likely 90 seconds at the most so you have 90 seconds if even 90 seconds to squeeze in the most important information possible think about it like writing an essay or something like that right you don't want the fluff while the fluff may give you five pages to meet that uh, minimum amount of pages and reality, you know, the reader will get bored. It's the same thing. If you put in a bunch of fluff to try and make your hit or your point three minutes long, it's going to detract and the listener is going to get bored because it's a bunch of fluff, get to the important parts, communicate with that, that with them, because that's what they're tuning in to listen to. Got it. All right. Thank you. And that just, like you said, stick to what you know, stick to what you com you're comfortable with, and don't add that fluff. The next thing I want to talk about is transitioning a little bit into baseball. And just because I know me, as well as many of my friends in broadcasting, want to be baseball broadcasters when they grow up and have a job or career in that. So how did you find a job with the Sovereign Dogs through college? And what would you recommend for someone who wants an experience or a job like that? Yeah, I'd say first thing is applying to as many spots as you can, because uh, give yourself as many opportunities as possible. Um, I was looking, it was the winter of my freshman year, so it was like probably November of 2019, December of 2019. And I was looking at a bunch of different leagues, um, and they were the first to get back, and I jumped on it immediately because I just wanted a chance to do it. Um, and in North Dakota, while North Dakota never is ideal, obviously, in terms of 
you know, location. I thought it was good because it simulates what a real minor league experience is like and can help me prepare for hopefully what's to come if I am fortunate enough to get a job coming out of college. Um, but I would say apply to as many spots as you can. Give yourself as many opportunities to get a job because it's hard. It's incredibly, comp incredibly competitive. And I can guarantee you, you know, there's at least five, if not more, sometimes 10 to 20 who are really trying to get the same opportunities. You may be just as good, if not better. This uh, winter, I was applying to the Cape Cod League, which is super prestigious, uh, the best college collegiate league uh, in the country, arguably. Uh, it's associated with Major League Baseball as well. And that's been one of my biggest dreams. It's my goal for next year. Um, and I got a couple of interviews and I got fairly deep into them, but they told me there's like 50 other people that they're talking to right now. So I was like, dang, all right. So this is going to be tough. And I have, you know, my goal for this summer is to figure out a way to separate myself from those other people. Uh, but that just shows how competitive it is and why it's so important not to just aim for the top, but aim for other uh, potential opportunities as well. And maybe not just broadcasting, but media relations, public relations, social media, stuff like that because that can turn into an opportunity greater. I have someone I met in the league last year who just graduated from college. So he was looking at minor league baseball jobs and he got a job with an affiliate for the Miami Marlins. It's not a broadcasting job. It is media relations, but you know, he can turn that into something greater. You know, what happens if the broadcaster for that team's sick one day and they don't have anyone to fill in, he can say, Hey, I have some experience broadcasting. I'll fill in. And who knows, he gets at least one game on his tape of minor league professional baseball. But not only that, uh, maybe they like him, give him an opportunity, set up a two-man booth. Super hypothetical, but that stuff does happen. And that's why I think saying yes to every opportunity you can, uh, being positive and optimistic can lead to so many more opportunities for you. Yeah, I mean, just that opportunity there was made by him being a yes man, like you said. So you want to stick to just being a yes man is what you're saying and make sure you get every opportunity you can because – those opportunities are going to build up and just look good when the competition is high, like applying for a position with 50 other people, you're going to stand out by just being a yes man and taking that extra step for an opportunity. Yeah. And they're not going to come find you. That's, that's the biggest thing right there, right? You're not going to be sitting on your couch and have 20 teams calling you, right? Unless you're some, you know, super anomaly broadcaster, which I'm sure there's a couple out there, uh, but generally speaking, you have to, market yourself and put yourself out there. That's the most important thing, I think. And work that extra step. And also I was going to do a question on, like you were saying, get that real experience of what it's like to be broadcasting for a team because you are going to look for a job after college. So when it is, it's a grind for the players as well as you. And I saw in the Expedition League, it's about 65 games, 70 game season. So how are you preparing through the day and nights that, it's starting to get a little tiring. What's keeping you fresh and going through all of those games? Yeah, that's something definitely um, that was tough, especially being away from home for that long, uh, you know, because when I went to Ithaca, I was that was the first time I really was away from home when I my freshman year of college. But that was just a few months with breaks intertwined in between. So the North Dakota uh, instance was really the first time I was away from home for a stretch of that long, I believe, or maybe it matched the longest time I was at college. Uh, but so that was difficult. But I think um, just that competitive drive and reminding myself that this is the career I'm trying to get into and this is important and I can grow from this. You know, I'm a big sayer on like, you know, throw yourself into the fire because that's an opportunity for you to get better and to learn, you know, even if it's difficult, getting through those growing pains uh, is really, really important. So just constantly reminding myself of that. 
And I just love baseball. I think that was the best thing about it. You know, the harder times were, was when I was not broadcasting because that's when you're sort of, you know, getting bored or maybe tired, you're exhausted. But just trying to stay positive and look forward to every single game every night because that is what I love to do. And, you know, like coming into that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in broadcasting, you know, because it could have been a lot of things, you know, being a host, being a analyst type debater person on a, you know, debater show, you know, like Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith. Uh, you could be a reporter, a writer, play-by-play. And I'd never done play-by-play for baseball because I was always playing high school baseball. Uh, but that was my first time doing it and I fell in love with it. And now I know for sure, like if everything were to go right, of course, it's very competitive, but that's my dream and that's what I want to do when I grow up. And I think that really helped me, uh, you know, grind and really push forward and do it every single day. It's just because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And going into the fine detail of going play by play broadcasting, I noticed that, like you were saying, I've been trying to practice in front of TV, turn on the game, try to broadcast with the broadcasters. But I noticed that sometimes, even at the professional level, baseball, as much as I love baseball also, there can be points where there's not much going on, right? Change of pitcher, batter steps out of the box after a wild pitcher, a ball. In those moments, what are you doing as a broadcaster to keep the audience engaged and it, like on their seat, just like loving the game? What are you bringing up stats? What's your plan when something like that happens? Yeah, baseball's in its own category, right? Because basketball is really fast, hockey's really fast, you know, and you most of the majority of those broadcasts are play by play of what's actually happening versus you're right, baseball is very slow. You'll have times Pedro Baez is on the mound and he's taking like a minute between pitches, right? So you have to really you know, that's why storytelling is so important. And that's why I feel like being a play-by-play broadcaster, you're not just doing the play-by-play. You're, you know, a utility man almost, if you'd call it out of the baseball term, or a Swiss army knife. You know, you got to be able to tell stories, play-by-play. You got to interview, prepare, so forth like that. And that's where I think the pre- preparation is key. You know, I think uh, one thing I really benefited from was in the Expedition League, I was on the bus with the players and we would travel, you know, nine-hour bus rides and so forth. I was even sharing hotel rooms with them. Um, so I got to know them very, very well, just as the big league broadcasters get to know their players really, really well. Um, so you'll have stories to talk about, you know, their personalities. And of course you want to ask permission beforehand, but that's really, really important. I remember one of my favorite ones I talked about was we went to play the Badlands Big Sticks, which are in Dickinson, North Dakota, one of the rivals of the Sabredogs. And they had this promotion called the beer batter. And basically one batter from the visiting team was chosen to be the beer batter. And every time there was two strikes, uh, if the beer batter struck out, everyone in the crowd got free beer. And obviously that was such a big incentive for the fans that with two strikes, they would be chanting beer, beer, beer. And I was rooming with a player um, and he told me, he's like, Max, you better tell the PA announcer that I'm going to be the beer batter tonight. And I told him and he got to be the beer batter. And, you know, I was able to turn that into like a three minute story during his at bat, just talking about the whole uh, instance where he came up to me, how he wanted to, he was embracing it. And instead of just sitting there and being like first pitch on the way strike on the outside corner, Owen one pause, don't say anything. Pitcher comes set from the waist, kicks, deals, fires, strike on the inside corner. Owen two. It's very boring in a way, you know, when you look at it that simply, but then you can mix in that story, you know, first pitch on the way strike on the outside corner. Owen one, you know, I was talking to Davis today and he wanted to be the beer batter. You know, I was expecting these guys to not enjoy something like this, but he came up with a smile on his face and told me to tell him today, next pitch on the way strike on the inside corner. You wave those two together uh, and it makes it so much more entertaining for the 
uh, for the viewer and the listener, whoever you're talking to. And that's why it's really important for baseball. You can also throw in some stats as well. I think that's always very important too. Um, a big thing is maybe adjustments they're working on, talking to them during batting practice and stuff. One of my favorites too, I talked to another pitcher on the team who had been a catcher going into college and that year he had transitioned to pitching and he was telling me all about uh, how he used rap soda technology to uh, help him transition to pitching, which is definitely a big jump. You know, most college pitchers have spent the majority of their high school careers being POs or at least pitching at some point, really thrown a few innings. Um, he jumped up to 91, 92 miles an hour. He's one of the top 100 prospects uh, for NAIA college athletes or college baseball players. That's a story in itself right there, just walking through his entire story. And, you know, that can last a whole inning right there. And that definitely makes it more entertaining for the listener because you're not – it's like I would the way I would describe it is unless it's a really intense moment of the game, it's a combination of play by play and a talk show at the same time. Obviously, if you're in the eighth inning and you're down by one and the tying runs on second base, you're not talking about into a story or something like that. Yeah. yeah, you're talking about the intensity of the moment, you know, and you're getting excited. The fans are getting loud. You let it breathe a little bit more. Um, but when it is a 10 nothing deficit or something like that or just very early in the game. Yeah, you definitely want to weave in those stories. That's really, really important. And all the professional broadcasters are brilliant with it. Vin Scully, who's the best of all time, in my opinion, is the best at it. He would do it by himself on TV, which is incredibly hard to do. And he'd spend the whole time telling stories because, you know, he's rich with stories because he's been doing it or he was doing it for so long until he retired in like 2016, I believe it was. Um, and that's so, so, so important for a sport as slow as baseball. So what I'm hearing is that it's really important to develop relationships with the players to be able to immerse the audience as well as everyone in baseball. I mean, the players even to develop connections, learn what the players are thinking. And I think that was really interesting with the catcher who transitioned to being a pitcher. And so to be a great broadcaster, it sounds like you are that utility man. You need to be able to do various things. It's not just you hopping on the mic and talking about the strikes, the balls, the runs, the opposing team. It's about going the extra step and really immersing the audience to an extra level by telling them more about the players, more about the opposing team, beer night, like you said, just things that most viewers wouldn't be getting if they were at the ballpark. Definitely. I think be really creative with stuff too. Uh, my, I think something I love to do is I just love to like bring back old things I remember from when I watched the Mariners when I was young. You know, it could be the most obscure things of all time, but sometimes those can be the most interesting. Again, you don't need to talk about, you know, the crickets you ate at Teamable Park at Edgar's, yeah. you know, when it's a close game. But sometimes it's very, very slow and you're losing by 10. I remember one time, I remember like when Brendan Ryan was on the Mariners, he had the grounds crew. Uh, not water the edge of the, the cut of the infield, you know, the cut between the back of the infield and the outfield grass. Cause he wanted almost like a warning track type uh, effect for when he was getting close to the outfield and the stadium that the, that the Sabre dogs were playing at, we were in Western Nebraska. Um, no Hastings, Nebraska, excuse me. They did the same thing. So I was like, all right, it's the ninth inning. We're down by seven. I have nothing to talk about. Let's just talk about Brendan Ryan a little bit in that right there. It may not be the most interesting thing, but it's definitely more interesting then, uh, you know, staying quiet the whole time and just being like strike, 0-1, strike, 0-2, whatever it may be. Uh, so I think just trying to look for those certain circumstances or certain stories to try and pick out, you got to be really, really creative with it. Mm -hmm. All right. And also what I wanted to ask was practicing 
I know you've said you've always want to try to go to the most ball games or go to a sport that you haven't done yet. What would you also suggest as good forms of practice? For me, I think one of the great things, I love Stephen A. Smith, and he's Mm -hmm. always just kept me very passionate, and I love listening to him. And I try to take notes when I listen, uh, and I'm listening to the show in first take. Who, like, what other broadcasters or forms of practice would you suggest for an up-and-coming broadcaster to be learning and getting their craft? Yeah, I think uh, I kind of touched on this earlier, but making yourself versatile, right? Um, Stephen A. does a lot of uh, talk show hosting, a lot of debating um, stuff. I think practice everything from debating, from play-by-play to reporting and so forth, because they're all very different. But the most, the more you can do, the better situation you put yourself in. For the Stephen A. Smith type stuff, I think practice on being confident in what you're saying, right? Because the reason Stephen A. Smith is so entertaining is because he's probably the most confident person in the room. Um, And, you know, he may be like that in real life, but there's a good chance he's exaggerating his personality as well, right? You have to get in character a little bit um, because, you know, he's, he's, you know, that's blasphemous. He He sticks to his thing, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's his persona. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why he's so successful. Uh, so in that case, whenever you're debating someone, you know, you have to be a hundred percent convinced that you're right. And Stephen A is always a hundred percent convinced he's right. And that's what makes him so fun to listen to gives him more credibility. People hop on his side. It also makes the actual product more entertaining because then you have Max Kellerman, whoever it is on the other side, arguing against him. He's also a hundred percent confident in what he's saying. And then you have these two sides going back and forth at each other. That's fun to watch. So I think in that case, just practice one, talking into a camera, but two, being confident in what you're saying. That's something that I struggled with in high school at first. I listen back. And the one thing I always criticize myself on is I'm so quiet or I'm so passive. You know, I need yep. to, I should have been more out there, more confident with what I was saying, more adamant about what I was saying. Because if you're watching it and they're very hesitant about their saying what they're saying, or they're very questioning, or they're questioning a bunch of the stuff they're saying, you know, why are you going to believe that person? Why are you going to trust what that person is saying? Right. So that's a big thing. Um, play by play. I think if you don't have the opportunity to go out and broadcast a real game, like with radio equipment, just go to one of the high school Mercer Island basketball games, sit in the corner as far as away as you can, have, bring a tape recorder with you, broadcast that. You don't need to get super loud and distract people, right? Because you'll probably upset some people. But don't be afraid to go out there and just practice because that's really important. Uh, practicing on the TV is really big too. I know I said that it's not the same as getting there in person, but it's better than nothing. And it's still really, really important during quarantine before the Sabre Dogs to prepare me and my uh, one of my really good friends would sit down, we would get on a Zoom call together and watch a YouTube video of a full Major League Baseball game and just broadcast the whole thing because yeah. that's so important because everyone practices the big calls, right? I'll be playing MLB The Show, the uh, video game, yeah. and I'll hit a big home run and I'll be like, deep drive, left field, la, 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 la. practice it, right? Oh, everyone yeah. knows how to broadcast a walk-off home run. Not everyone knows how to broadcast a five-nothing yep. game bottom of the seventh inning on a Tuesday night with no fans, you know, and you have to actually, you know, make something out of nothing. Uh, So that's the big stuff to practice. And that's why I think broadcasting full games will really test you. And it's very, very hard. I still struggle with it sometimes, but again, simulating the most difficult scenarios possible is what makes you better. Because again, as I said, everyone practices the big moments, right? Everyone practices, you know, the game winning touchdown and overtime or, Uh, the buzzer beater or the walk-off home run practice the stuff that no one else does because that's what's 
to separate you. Mm-hmm. And that's what you said, like in central Nebraska and the expedition league down 10 zero with not a huge pack crowd. You need to get those reps in to be in those moments to know what it's really like. And that brings me kind of to my final question. You have given us so much information. Thank you, Max. And what would you say all around? Cause I know versatility as many reps as you can get in and also just constantly practicing and just making sure that you're always keeping up and practicing those hard moments like you were talking about 10-0-7-0 lopsided affairs and games like that what would you say if a broadcaster wanted to go into sports media what's the number one takeaway you would think from today that they should just really drill into their head um I think uh, dedication, perseverance are two of the most important qualities. You got to be committed to it, right? It's a hard job. You know, I compare it to being a professional baseball player because you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're not making a lot of money. There's a good chance you'll have to work multiple jobs, right? If you get to the, you know, if you get to the major leagues, which in this case would be ESPN, Fox Sports, NBC, something like that, sure, you're making a lot of money and you're doing fine. But the beginning is very, very hard. So you have to be committed to it. You got to be ready for it. Uh, and it's super competitive as well. And that's something I've really learned after the last couple of years, you know, coming out of high school, um, I didn't really met too many people that wanted to get into play-by-play for baseball, but I, you know, meeting people in the expedition league, meeting people here at college, you know, there's a lot of people that want to do this and it's very competitive. So I think being committed resilient and willing to roll with the punches because it's inevitable that you're going to face them. So you have to be able to push through them, stay confident, keep your head up um, and get through it. Cause it's, it's very difficult for sure. And I haven't even faced the worst of it yet. So I'm still mentally preparing for that. Uh, but hopefully when that time comes, I'll be ready for it. Yeah. And thank you so much, Max, for your time today and all of your information. I'm very fortunate. And I bet many other people listening right now on 889 The Bridge are too. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with your broadcasting career. And I know it's going to be a good one from the Sabre dogs to whoever may be next and hope to see you soon again. Thank you. You as well. I wish you the best of luck too. I right, thank you for joining us on 88.9 The Bridge. My name is Gil MacDonald. I run a show called Power Predictions. So if anyone wants to check that out on Spotify, you can just search up Power Predictions or listen to us on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on 88.9 The Bridge. Thank you for joining us and see you later.